Hello and welcome to Camp Kaiju Monster Movie Reviews. We're your hosts, Vincent Hannum, Matt Levine, and we're talking about all our favorite monster movies, the good, the bad, and the downright campy, and asking if they stand the test of time. Kaiju, creature features, space invaders, the supernatural, and everything in between. All strange beasts welcome here. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by BanditsEmporium.com, where you can shop exclusive monster-inspired t-shirts with part of the proceeds supporting this show. BanditsEmporium.com. Hit the link in our bio. As they say, we sell shirts. Hey, as Camp Kaiju says, stay campy, everybody. We are continuing our horror western-themed month of September Last week, we talked about Dan Trachtenberg's Prey, starring Amber Mid-Thunder. And Matt, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about Vampires by John Carpenter, starring James Woods. Matt, I love John Carpenter. You know he's like one of the greatest filmmakers in the horror genre. Oh, I know. He started off his career with like a string of some of the best horror movies ever made. Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween... The Thing, The Fog, They Live, Starman, which is more of a horror comedy, but still a great film. Uh, yeah, he's he's one of the best horror directors ever, at least if you're talking about the 70s and 80s. So vampires must be a classic uh, in the genre, right? One would assume, and I had hoped so. <laughs> and, you know, this uh, vampires is from 1998, so... This was a period in his career after Escape from L.A., which uh, sounds like it was a very unpleasant experience for John Carpenter and made him kind of want to quit filmmaking for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, this was right after that movie. So he was kind of on the decline. His movies had started to not do so well commercially or critically in the 1990s. And I think Vampires had a lot to do with that, although it was his only movie of the 90s that was financially, um, you know, made made a profit. It's so interesting, and we'll get into introductions and the maybe a, a brief synopsis as well. But it is interesting how a director of significant note and merit can still sort of fall out of the limelight. Is that is that due to their own talent, or is it due to cult, shifting cultural tastes? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's probably a little bit of both and maybe a, a lot of other factors that play a, a, as well. You know, like I think he had lower budgets to work with in the 90s. And I think he only made one, one or two movies in the 2000s. So, yeah, he was he like he didn't have the same level of like resources to work with at that point. But also, I think he was it seems to me that he was running out of ideas. Like when I watch a movie like Vampires there is none of the sort of influence, the stylistic sort of shock and verve. And um, yeah, like none of the like feeling of like breaking new horror ground, you know, that like so many of his earlier movies had. Right. Because you talk about budget. Halloween was a shoestring budget. That is true. And Starman he, also. Yeah. And he his craftsmanship of suspense and tension is just down to the T. It's just masterful. Yeah. You know, I, I I wonder if like maybe his like the screenplays were not quite so good. Like I know he he either wrote or co-wrote um, several of the movies that he made in the 90s. Vampires was kind of 
cobbled together from various different screenplays and the source novel and his own ideas. So it's kind of like a mess there, but yeah. I, but I just wonder if like, yeah, the screenplays weren't as good and just, uh, I don't know. All he had to lean on was like his sense of visual style, which is always going to be pretty good. But like in this movie, even that's a little bit boring, I think. Okay. So now we'll get into the review of the movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you for ourselves. hanging out. Yeah, thank you for hanging out with us, everybody, wherever you're listening on your favorite podcasts or on YouTube. We've got some fans out there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you like what you hear today, please leave a rating and review. Tell a friend about it. Uh, it's a great way to organically grow the show. You can visit us on Instagram, campkaijumoviereviews.com, or even Patreon for ways that you can support the show financially. Just because Matt and I, we we have some ambitions. We have some uh, goals, way to grow Camp Kaiju uh, in the future. Maybe this October, we'll see. But regardless, thanks for just listening. It means a lot. For October, uh, we'll tell you what we got coming up next at the end of this episode. Maybe maybe we'll have to think about it towards the end of this episode. <laughs> but <laughs> will we? <laughs> uh, well, it's gonna be it's gonna be glorious. Believe you me. So why did we pick this film? Matt, what is your history with this movie? Well, you know, again, I'll just say John Carpenter. Um, The Fog is probably one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It's a movie in which light is a menacing force. You know, Uh, there are so many just like gorgeous shots of light crawling through the fog and like rolling over empty city streets and things like that. Um, So I, I adore The Fog. The Thing is fantastic. Assault on Precinct 13. We, you know, I, I, I know I already mentioned all these movies, but it, it's like I had the sense that some of his later movies must be good, like for somebody to start off their career like that and then to like descend in the 90s into like mediocrity is what most of the reviews said. You know, I was always a little skeptical of that. I was like, that can't be true. There must be good things about his later movies as well. I have been interested in some of those lesser known titles, I, coincidentally, not coincidentally, from the 90s such as Children of the Damned, I'd be interested mm-hmm. in watching. Village of the Damned. I Village think, yeah. of the Damned, yes. Um, but, you know, based on vampires, my hope is not tremendously <laughs> high. I love The Fog as well. I had never heard of vampires until we were looking for something to pair with Prey. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were looking for something in the horror slash Western theme. Uh, and this is certainly a Western by definition however it is a contemporary setting but it's but still not quite the neo-western that i i really dig with something like um no country for old men yeah yeah by neo-western at least how i think it's like it's taking the traditional themes of sort of lawlessness and no mercy dog eat dog world of the american of the of the yeah the uh north american west against a modern contemporary background so it works really well. No country for all men. I'm on a tangent right now with, um, you know, the, the play between criminals and, and authority figures. Yeah. I was hoping to see more of that in vampires. We do, but it doesn't really dig into the same themes of morality. Quite the same way. Not by a long shot. Yeah, <laughs> it does on the most purely surface level. Yeah. Yeah. And and the film, you know, it does this thing uh, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but it does this thing where it's like trying to 
like shocky with its bad taste you know it's like it's trying to appear very like um uh what's the word like provocative you know but it's it's more like it gives you the sense that this movie has nothing on its mind like it's not taking anything seriously so like why should we take its theme seriously i think that's like the difficulty of like making a movie that is intentionally sort of you know shocking and like um a little juvenile or whatever it's like okay why should i care what you're telling me right now you know exactly it felt like a 17 year old filmmaker without like who hasn't experienced the world Mm -hmm. but who knows vampires and knows sex and that doesn't necessarily know violence from his own perspective but sort of the violence he has seen in other media yeah right because i remember when i was a teenager i wrote i mean write is a very loose definition of writing mobster movie a 15 minute short but like I had no concept of true violence. I was just copying movie violence. And that's kind of what vampires reminded me of. Yeah. And I think that's okay. That's what Tarantino does with all of his movies pretty much. So it's not always a bad thing, but uh, you should, I don't know. It's my opinion that you should have some kind of connection to a real world. If you're making something like that, you know, have something to say. That's all I'm asking for. (laughs) (laughs) And also, Sorry, one one other thing I wanted to add real quick. Like, judging from how much this movie apparently hates women, I don't know if he... Like, we get the impression that nobody involved in the making of this movie knows anything about sex. Like, (laughs) you know? Have you, like... It's baffling to me. Like, have you ever talked to somebody of the opposite sex? Like, there is just so much that is uh, misogynistic and very casually just, like, like, dumb, brawny, macho jokes for no reason. Yeah, again, getting ahead of myself. I, you know, I'll save some of that stuff for later. That's all right. Um, So very briefly with the plot. So it concerns a group of of vampire hunters led by a man named Jack Crow, played by James Woods. He and his partner in crime, his right-hand man, is Tony Montoya, played by (laughs) Daniel Baldwin. And they have another gang of, of hunters. And they go searching for vampires at the sort of the request of of their like the, the Roman Catholic Church is the overarching authority on vampire hunting. And they use Jack Crow and his friends to do this sort of bounty hunting. And over the course of the of the of the movie, a master vampire named Valak, he is centuries old. He had been exercised by the church like 600 years ago but the exorcism was incomplete and by the nature of not finishing the exorcism it turned valak into a vampire so in this world valak is the original vampire and he is on a search in the southwest for a the so-called black cross which he will then use to finish the exorcism ritual consequently allowing him to walk in the daylight his end goal being turn everybody into vampires world domination and it's up to jack and montoya to defeat him because valak has killed their entire gang by this point uh while infecting a prostitute named katrina with the vampire um 
virus as one person virus calls it. yeah thanks <laughs> so then so then jack and montoya take katrina under their wing for protection supposedly but really they are using her connection with valak to to get a, an understanding of what valak is up to mm-hmm. so it's kind of a cat and mouse thing until the end valak captures crow Montoya has been bitten by Katrina. He's slowly turning into a vampire. They've brought on another partner, uh, another a young priest, and they ultimately defeat Valak. Um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I think Montoya and Katrina kind of drive off into the sunset together, but you have a feeling it's not going to end very well for them. No, they're turning into vampires and, and Crow has given them a two day head start out of loyalty to his friend. Yeah. So yeah. Um, like I like we mentioned, uh, James Woods is in this movie. I was unfamiliar with him, but he has a stacked resume. He does. Yeah. He you know, I like him in some stuff. I especially like him in Videodrome, the David Cronenberg movie, which is a very good horror movie. Very surreal, very political um he you know he has that kind of like very nervous fidgety acting style which i think works very well for some roles and he also kind of seems like um dangerous i guess which uh (laughs) not so much in this movie but i I, like he's meant to seem dangerous but he kind of just seems like an asshole to be honest in this movie but in some other roles he has this kind of like unpredictability where you like never know exactly what he's gonna do playing tony montoya is daniel baldwin Uh, of the Baldwin acting troupe, which is it's I'm not criticizing him one way or the other, because this is not a fair criticism to compare him to Alec Baldwin, his younger, his older brother. I'm just saying it was weird watching Daniel in this movie because he looks so much like Alec. Yeah, he's a he's a puffy version of Alec Baldwin, basically, for sure. Even sounds (laughs) like him at some points. Yeah, I was like, whoa, weird. (laughs) I do think it's fair to criticize him. He uh, he's really terrible in this movie. And, right, uh, right. Yeah. But it's not fair to compare it to say, "Oh, I wish I had Alec Baldwin yeah. in this movie." Yeah, nobody would have made this role work. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, he won. He won an award for like worst actor of the year, not from the Razzies, but from like a different sort of like um, I can't remember what it was, but it's like you know honoring the worst movies of the year, and he won or lost. So. <laughs> You know, a little, little tidbit for you. Uh, another fun tidbit, a connection to Camp Kaiju. Daniel Baldwin stars in the 1993 remake of Attack of the 50-Foot Woman with Daryl Hannah, directed by Christopher Guest. So, Which we may be talking about in a future episode, possibly. We've talked about the original. I would love to talk about the remake. We'll have some more Daniel Baldwin content in a future episode. I can't wait. Who knew? <laughs> Friends, if you're listening, please let us know your thoughts. We we want to hear from you. If you want us to talk about Daniel Baldwin anymore, let us know who you are, the Danny Baldwin fans out there. Even if it's Daniel Baldwin himself reaching out to us, asking us to talk about him more often, we will do so. We will have him on. Ooh, yeah, I like that idea. I, honestly, that'd be great. Um, Cheryl Lee plays Katrina. She also played Laura Palmer from Twin Peaks. Um, you know what? For my money, she brought a certain uh, gravitas to uh, a very thankless role. Agree. She gives it her all. And thankless is right. She deserves a lot better than this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so without further ado, 
Uh, banditsemporium.com is our official t-shirt partner and sponsor. You can check out their links in our bio, but first and foremost, check out their website. You can uh, buy monster-inspired t-shirts from Camp Kaiju. Coolest part is part of the proceeds go to supporting Matt and I and our show and future endeavors. Couldn't do without you. Banditsemporium.com. As they say, we sell shirts. As Camp Kaiju says, we talk bad vampire movies. We talk vampires, literally the name of the movie. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. You know, it occurs to me, there's a movie by Catherine Bigelow from 88, from the late 80s, I think, uh, called Near Dark, which is another vampire movie set in the American West, Mm -hmm. Um, which maybe we'll talk about on a future episode because that movie's a lot better than this one. And I feel like maybe we, we should have watched that instead, but, but yeah, maybe that'll be in a future, future episode. Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Of uh, the hurt locker and zero dark 30 fam. Yeah. Oh, nice. Her early movies are really interesting. Like she, you know, near dark is, is good. Um, Strange days, which I think she made after point break is also really good. Hmm. Um, So yeah, her early stuff is worth checking out for sure. Another 80s vampire movie that I've never seen, but I thought about while watching vampires is The Lost Boys. Yeah, <laughs> that's a I mean, talk about camp. That is an extremely <laughs> campy movie, but uh, but it's fun. I would love to talk about that sometime. Everyone I've talked to, like typically like my mom loves that movie. <laughs> I feel like it's it's a favorite of Gen X. I think so. It's very quotable. There are some really ridiculous moments in that movie. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I love, that's cool, man. I, I don't know about vamp- John Carpenter's vampires, but I, I do like the genre. I do like vampire movies. Um, yeah, me too. You know, I, I think with like Twilight and stuff like that, it's become kind of like the um, the laughing stock, I guess, of like the like the, the horror genre, like vampire movies are like the... Um, it's been done before, you know, like what else can you do with it? But there are a lot that I love a lot. And I think that you can still take it in interesting directions. Uh, Only Lovers Left Alive by Jim Jarmusch. That's a recent one that's really good. Mm-hmm. I love Bram Stoker's Dracula from the early 90s with Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder. Uh, yeah, so there are a lot of good ones. I'm glad that we're like opening up the vampire can of worms on Camp Kaiju. Yeah, uh, let's talk about more movies, m- more movies in the future. And Salem's Lot is being redone this fall. This month, actually. Speaking of, so we touched on theme a little bit there. I definitely want to get into more themes uh, or lack thereof. Before we do that, production backstory. Uh, you talked about Escape from L.A. I find it interesting because I'm a movie nerd. Uh, Carpenter cited a few Western movies that he found inspiration from. Mm-hmm. The two he mentioned were uh, uh, was Red River by Howard Hawks and Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch. Two extraordinary movies in my opinion yeah agreed very different movies too yeah if vampires had actually been like one of those two movies oh my god we'd have a masterpiece on (laughs) (laughs) you're probably right about that yeah (laughs) yeah and you know like carpenter has talked a lot about howard hawks before and there are a lot of similarities between his movies and hawks um you know like this sort of idea of like men banding together like stoic professionals who nonetheless like form friendships and have you know deep connections to each other um so there's a lot of overlap between howard hawks and john carpenter usually in a good way like the thing is a very good example of that Mm. um yeah i mean like vampires is no red river it's like uh it's an unfair comparison it's they're like in totally different universes you know yeah i like the end 
of vampires when Montoya and Crow are saying goodbye to the, to each other. It's supposedly reminiscent of the end of Red River mm-hmm. between Montgomery Clift and John Wayne. But Red River earns that moment, that ending from a whole story of like true, not just camaraderie shit, but a dependence on one another. Like it's a it's been a while since I've seen it, but I, I remember being really taken by the, the 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 personal drama of these two men. Yeah. Montoya and Crow, they <laughs> they're just hysterical in how non-existent their connection like they're true right you you actually have to like the characters to be like invested in what happens to them emotionally you know and i don't think there's anybody that we can really like in vampires i would say maybe the young priest uh gito i think is his name yep he's maybe the only exception yep and uh, you know i think katrina we certainly feel for her because she's abused and treated poorly by all the men around her throughout this entire movie but also she's not a very deep character like we know nothing about her and she's just turning into a vampire immediately so right yeah what can you what kind of emotional impact can something like that really have you say it best with the (laughs) wild bunch i mean my main takeaway from when i watched that movie a while ago was was the violence and right and it's still known for its excessive violence which is uh is satire the right word it's supposed to be a comment on the violence of, a, of not just the West, but American culture of the late 60s. Absolutely. Like such a cynical movie and sort of just saying that like the connections between men is, you know, fragile, I guess is how I would put it. Like, but also, you know, it's also been a while since I've seen The Wild Bunch, but it, it seems to suggest that like initially, like our connections to other people are fragile and like untrustworthy. But then once you like form a bond with somebody like you will die for them, you know, and Mm. that trumps like money that trumps politics, like anything else. Like Mm. to me, that's kind of the theme of the wild bunch. But of course, their attempt to like stand up for each other and die for each other ends in like this bloodbath. So it's it's not like a hopeful ending at all. So no. Yeah. But what that says to me is that the violence in the wild bunch has a purpose, has a has is rooted in a in a metaphor. Yeah. In vampires, I feel like the violence is just there for violence's sake. You know, I enjoy gore sometimes, but like that shouldn't be the only thing to distinguish your movie. And I think that's kind of the, the case with vampires. Well, yeah, I love the I, I love talking about I love westerns. Um, but this is a monster <laughs> movie pod. <laughs> <laughs> it can be both. I hope so. I hope I I want to talk about more horror westerns, monster westerns. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Vampires is probably not the best way to start off that trend, but we'll talk about more. Well, Prey was the best way to start off that trend. Very good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but that was like, okay, we won't go there. Listen to our previous episode uh, for a conversation <laughs> on a you know, on a fine Western picture. Yeah. So Vampires did open number one uh, in its release weekend, Halloween weekend of 98. It immediately fell to number eight the following weekend. The film was then followed by two direct sequels. So who are we to criticize? (laughs) Kicked off a franchise. Vampires Los Muertos in 2002 and Vampires The Turning in 2005. I'm sort of morbidly curious to see them. Unless the masses wish us to do an episode about them, we will not. But we can watch (laughs) them. We can just watch them. So, you know, there's the sexuality that's inherent in the in vampire imagery, um, the relationship between uh, 
Well, yeah, let's start with the sexuality inherent in the vampire imagery, because, of course, we have like the penetration of the fangs, like digging into the neck. In this case, it's even a little more sexualized because the master vampire, Valak, appears to be going down on Katrina and biting her somewhere in her nether regions. We don't really know exactly where. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is made very obvious in this movie because subtlety is just nowhere to be found in, in vampires at all. And, you know, I feel like that's actually a good a good way to, like, start talking about the misogyny and homophobia in this movie, because it is rampant throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, first of all, Katrina is horribly treated. Uh, she is turning into a vampire, but there's like a scene where they strip her naked entire face down to a bed. And there is zero reason for that. Just there to have a naked girl there. It makes no sense. And if, like the guy that ties her down then is like the love interest that like runs away with her at the end of the movie. It's so stupid. Um, And, you know, and that's not to mention like sort of just like all these sort of throwaway lines of dialogue where like James Woods is like killing a female vampire at the beginning and he's like open wide, honey. And then they like find a skull somewhere. And uh, I think it's the Montoya characters, like nothing like a little head, right? Like just the sleaziest, stupidest, like most misogynistic jokes, which are not funny at all. Yeah. Um, well, along the lines of those jokes, um, Jack Crow has several lines it's like with Montoya and the and the master vampire. He constantly is asked when the young priest is constantly asking, do you have a do you have a hard on for me? Like, how's your wood or something? It's just the most juvenile. Joke, but it's not even delivered like a joke, which right. is which is my like this movie's tone is so weird for me where it tries to be funny. Like it's trying to be funny. Yeah. Like I I feel like the movie's both like homoerotic and homophobic at the same time, which happens actually kind of a lot. I think especially in like sort of like immature bro movies where it's like terrified of homosexuality, but it's also like all the characters are all the male characters are like obsessed with each other all the time and obsessed with their own dicks and each other's dicks. Like I think that happens all the time, you know? And this movie is kind of a good example of that or a terrible example of that. Because um, there are like derogatory slurs for gay people used in this movie. But then you have him like, you have this relationship between Jack Crow and the Padre, which gets sort of sincere, like very sentimental to the point where like, it's like, oh, I think they're actually in love right now. And mm. I don't think the movie is trying to convey that. I think it's just like this weird ingrained homophobia where the movie doesn't know how to treat male friendships even though john carpenter claims that that's what he's trying to do is like an emulation of howard hawks you know right um we've bashed this movie a lot we'll admit it but i think there are some conversations worth having along these themes Mm -hmm. the the characters display an insecurity with their selves with their male friendships but the movie is not seemingly not attempting to critically analyze that thought. Cause I would love to sit here and say that Crow and Montoya are actually closeted for each other, but the movie doesn't go there. The movie's not willing to go there. Right. And like how like macho they all act all the time with like the extreme violence and like all their weapons and their gear and stuff like that. The movie's really going out of its way to like, make sure we don't get that impression. Like we, you know, like they, they seem like macho guys, you know? Uh, but then they like, 
they're obsessed with each other. They're obsessed with penises. They're obsessed with like hurting this woman who, you know, the cruelty towards her is, is, is excessive, I think. So yeah. yeah, it's like a weird contradiction where the movie wants to show their sort of like extremely close bonds, but it doesn't know how to do it in a convincing way, you know? Right. Meanwhile, they're running around impaling everybody with phalluses in terms of stakes and harpoons. And I mean, that's why vampires are inherently sexual. Just seems like this movie is trying to like shock and offend us in the sleaziest and most immature possible ways, which just, you know, it's like, all right, I don't think that you're really trying to tell me anything right now because you're really loud and obnoxious about like convincing me that you're not trying to tell me anything, you know? Yeah, like it's giving it's giving an impression of like shallowness. So why why should we care? Yeah, exactly. We don't. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, I, you know, I also just want to add, like, of course, the master vampire Valak is a is a man. But it just seems like so many of the vampires in this movie are women. Like several of the vampires killed in the first scene are women uh, who are like dragged out into the sun and like explode into flames. One of the other vampires that's killed in that first scene is a Latino man. So it just seems like, what is the sort of representation that you're doing with these vampires here? Where like all these white men go in with their weapons and their gear and they like flippantly kill these people that are like from different communities, you know? Mm. And they're, maybe it's not intentional, but I don't know how you couldn't notice that. And it just seems like, if I can throw out the phrase white supremacist, like this movie does kind of seem like that a little bit, you know? Mm. You're not wrong. <laughs> and you know, like maybe I'm giving it too much credit and thinking that like, it's sort of like, representation is supposed to represent an ideology or whatever maybe the whole thing is just so lazy that they never really thought about it but it definitely leaves like an extremely bad and like very um uh uh despicable like sense like sense in the viewer's mouth i think you know it's just made with the broadest strokes possible like valak and his vampires they they find the black cross at the the mission full of friars they're just running around like cartoon characters and there's no sense of respectful storytelling for the religion being portrayed which could be a comment that could be a thematic choice uh the criticism of the church absolutely Mm -hmm. but the but the but the movie just goes about kind of just rampaging through these themes rather than trying to dig into them and, and figure them out intelligently. Yeah. yeah, totally agree. Yeah. I can mention one of the only things that I liked about this movie, which kind of brings up another theme. So, yeah. So the, there's the, the young priest character who, uh, you know, he kind of idolizes the, the Cardinal, right? I mean, that's, that's how, that's what the religious hierarchy is. And then at the end of the film, we find out that the Cardinal is kind of like involved with this plot the whole time. He's aligning with the master vampire Valak because he's getting older. He wants to, like, he finds immortality to tempting to pass up, right? Mm. So there's a scene where the father, the the young padre, Gito, I think is his name, you know, he, he witnesses this happen. He sees his idol sort of, like, turn into a monster sort of before his eyes in a way. And I will say that, like... The theme of religious hypocrisy, which is not very strong in this movie, but it's certainly represented by the Cardinal and and the young Padre is sort of like trying to grapple with that and the sort of um, amorality of this man that he idolized is one of the few effective scenes to me in the movie. 
Mm-hmm. And there's a nice, uh, I thought, a nice close up of the cardinal when he's speaking to Crow. Crow is he's been he's been hung up on a cross. Crow is going to be used by Valak in this final exorcism as a sacrifice. And he's he's crucified on this cross and he gets pulled down from the cross. Stuff happens. And there's that there's a scene where the cardinal is revealed. Big twist, which was not handled effectively. (laughs) (laughs) True, (laughs) But there are some nice close ups that I thought were were well used. Yeah. That's about it. That's about all the good stuff. Yep. <laughs> That's it. A close up. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've never seen it before. Um, I did like the as excessively um, sort of un- ungrounded as the violence was. I did think the effects themselves were pretty good. Um, I didn't. They were practical effects as far as I could see. And the rampage in the mission with all the friars running around, like, holy crap. If you're into practical effect, blood and gore. For sure. Yeah. I know one of the makeup effects designers is Greg Nicotero, who's kind of become like a big uh, horror practical effects guy. Like he is on The Walking Dead, the AMC show. Mm -hmm. He does a lot of the work for that show. And he's done so much other stuff, which I can't really think of right now. Um, But that stuff is very impressive for sure. So if you're a gore hound and I'm, you know, like sometimes a really gory practical effect is visceral. It's exciting. It's astounding. Like, it, you know, I, I, I'm not ashamed to say that sometimes I like stuff like that. And it is, it's usually pretty good in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. How about the moment in the beginning? This is when the movie still had me, honestly, when Valak shows up to the motel and wrecks the party. So Crow and his crew, they are, they're partying after successfully, defeating uh this nest of vampires and there's prostitutes and drinking and you know it's a good party and uh valak (laughs) shows up opens the door runs his hand through right through one of crow's buddies and like lifts his hand his arm up and completely slices the man in half from navel to cranium just and he and the man falls apart in two pieces there's blood and guts everywhere best part of the movie oh my god seriously it really it really is yeah but that's the uh, like you said i was still kind of hooked at that point and i was like whoa this is getting intense you know it's getting crazy and then it all kind of goes downhill from there it, which is so interesting it, it yeah what happened i think for me it was katrina the katrina character when when she enters the picture uh and they they I mean, I guess they do kidnap her in a way. She is a vampire. They are vampire hunters. So they're going to take her with them against her will. At that point, it it just kind of became a little tasteless. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think if you have like one scene of like butchery after another kind of there, there's like a little bit of variation there, but like it does get very repetitive. So like, you know, an hour and a half later, if you see another man like sliced in half or whatever, it's like, all right, I've seen this before, you know? That's the thing, too. Like the movie drags at a certain point because it is just one sort of butchery after the next. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a scene that I think works okay where it's in like an an old abandoned prison. And there's a scene where like a guy is sort of like 
uh, I think it might be the father. He's in like the basement of the prison and he sees like a dark shape coming at him from like a hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, so like here and there, there are like little moments like that, which maybe are like spooky for approximately two seconds. Mm-hmm. But but that's not enough to sustain the movie, you know? Yeah, very thin plot. And they tried to um, crow. He has suspicions because Valak knows his name and he goes to the Cardinal and he keeps saying, how does he know my name? How does he know my name? And then at the end, when it's revealed, the Cardinal was behind it all. You go, oh, that's how he knows my name. (laughs) But I was like, it's like a nice attempt at sort of weaving this mystery. But like everything else in this film, any any nuance gets buried under the extravagance of the action. Yeah. And I think just like this desperate desire to shock, like that kind of thing always rubs me the wrong way. And uh And this movie, especially like with all the offensive jokes and derogatory language and the sort of like very cruel treatment of so many of the characters, it's like, is this all you got? Because if so, um, you know, I I lose I lost interest very quickly. Yep. It is not an intelligent film, not in its subject matter. Right. You can do blood and gore and violence intelligently. Yep. This lacks that certain je ne sais quoi. (laughs) Indeed, it does. I will just like one more little positive thing. And this is kind of in the form aesthetic category. Yeah. You know, like Carpenter is still a very good visual stylist. Like I, I, and like I said before, I think that we see that less frequently in vampires than in most of his other movies, but he knows how to set up a shot. And um, I think we see that fleetingly in this movie. Mm -hmm. There's like some interesting like color work on the sky where it's like a blood red kind of at times. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually I think the scene that's displayed behind you right now of corpses kind of rising from the ground. That was cool. Yeah. Like you know, and like the scene that I just mentioned in the prison, like there are some, like, you know, that Carpenter still knows how to like shoot a scene and like construct it basically, mm-hmm. but any director should know how to do that. So it's like <laughs> faint praise, I would say there's, yeah. there's like nothing like the opening of the fog where it's like one gorgeous composition after another, you know? Yeah. Say, what do you think about his composition? So Car- Carpenter, as in many of his movies, Composed the score himself. And I have an opinion, but I was just curious what your opinion was. I did not like the music very much, even though I think it works for the setting. Like, I understand that he's trying to do sort of like a Western riff and there's a lot of like guitar plucking and stuff like that. Um, But, you know, I like a lot of his other scores, like Halloween is iconic. And I think his score for Assault on Precinct 13 is really good. So, Mm. so yeah, he has some good ones, but this one I didn't like very much. I didn't either. Um, Honestly, I sort of that synthesizer sound he he is kind of known for it just added a a level of cheesiness to the to this gritty western that it didn't help the movie no for sure and it's very repetitive it plays through like a lot of that opening scene and it gets pretty obnoxious by the end yeah 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 to be completely brutal it sounds like a stock public domain track that you can download off youtube (laughs) it does yeah (laughs) Yeah. And that's just someone who has done that a lot for the, for my own movies. (laughs) (laughs) Probably much better than uh, John Carpenter did on this one. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, if there's, is there anything else? I think we can get down to our, the good, the bad and the campy if you want. Great. Um, For the good again, um, the actress who plays Katrina, I did like her Cheryl Lee. The character of Guiteau, the young priest, I did like him. 
they felt like they were in a, an, an earnest film. They felt like they were in a serious, <laughs> like, like an earnest goes to camp film. No, they were <laughs> in a, a serious film, wildly different in tone from Woods and Baldwin. Yeah, um, this, the moment that you mentioned of like Valak slicing the guy in half is my favorite part of the movie. So that's in my good category for sure. Um, a, a couple good shots here and there. Uh, that's about it. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, for the bad, I will just be choosy here. Uh, try to say some things we haven't said before. I found the ending, the climax of this film incredibly rushed and unimaginative crow is battling valak hand to hand in some shed like a barn and and without any sort of buildup, crow impales valak to the wall and then kicks the ceiling out from under him so then the sunlight just just burns him up and i'm like oh you kind of killed him off the way you killed off vampire number three 40 minutes ago like <laughs> yeah it didn't, it didn't seem worthy of the master vampire right i yeah i feel like that's the way that they kill off vampires number like one through 25 pretty much like yeah there are so many vampires being burned alive it's what you know it's just not exciting by the end yeah exactly right so that's that i'll just keep it at that uh there's a lot to choose from in the bad category I, I just want to reiterate that this seems like such a hateful, misogynistic movie. It was very difficult to watch, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't really care if you're like trying to like shock or like seem like provocative or whatever. Like if you do that sort of thing, uh, I'm not going to like your movie. That's that's pretty much it. Unless, you know, certainly some movies can do that in like an intentional way where it's like trying to expose that sort of like prejudice or like way of thinking or whatever. This movie does not do that. It's empty shock value and it's uh, pretty disgusting for a lot of it. I think I agree. There's a tone of revelry in the violence, particularly towards the Katrina character. Mm-hmm. That is just gross. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. For the campy, there there actually was one campy moment that worked for me. Like it wasn't. Oh, my God. So Crow, he returns to the motel the morning after Valak's rampage. He pours gasoline all over the motel. He lights a match to destroy the evidence. As he's walking away from the motel, it explodes behind him. And I've never actually seen a a movie where the action hero walks with an explosion behind him. I've only (laughs) seen it in parody. (laughs) never actually in a serious movie this is one of the best examples of that because the look on his face is so ridiculous and you can tell he's trying not to be like too startled by it It, it's yeah it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) and i'm sure they thought it looked awesome like i'm sure they thought it looked like genuinely cool and like badass but uh I, i don't think the effect that the movie creates is what they were going for um there is also a lot of camp in this movie uh, there was one line I wanted to point out in particular where I'm pretty sure it's Montoya who says near the end, uh, I guess I'll pay with my life, won't I? And then the James Woods character says in response, you're not the only one, amigo, which is, uh, <laughs> you know, this very, very bad dialogue. I also there. are oh, OK, I'm sorry. This is a, a little bit of a tangent, so I apologize. But Go like, for it. 
there are two scenes in this movie that are like um, the least effective ways to do like relatively simple tasks. There's there's one part where James Woods is burying a corpse and he like buries it in like a narrow crevice that's like right next to the road and it's like two feet deep and he like buries it by like straddling two sides of this like sandy crevice which I've never done it myself but I'm I'm betting that is like the worst way to bury a corpse um and then like towards the end there's a part where the cardinal needs to get like a blood offering from the James Woods character so he like (laughs) He slices his leg through his jeans while he's hung up on the cross and then just like waits for the blood to like slowly seep through the denim and into this cup. It's like, what? There are so many easier ways you can draw blood from somebody. Um, I just thought those were both very amusing. And um, yeah, the people in this movie are very, very stupid. That's the moment. (laughs) Uh, I I was just looking for... um... Those are those are prime examples, Matt. I was just looking for a couple of those uh, um, penis jokes that that Crow throws out. So he says to Valak, let me just ask you one thing. After 600 years, how's that dick working? Pretty good. It's like, why? Why are you interested in that? It's cool. It's cool if you are. But are you (laughs) the the movie fails to take a position? Yeah. Um, Wow, this is the most this is the most profane we've been on this show. Not like there are a bunch of fucking f- hopping around in rental formal wear and seducing everybody in sight with cheesy Euro trash accents. All right. It's that kind of dialogue that's like, clearly, you don't care if these men have like genuine feelings for each other, if you're going to like include dialogue like that, you know? Right. And that kind of dialogue, maybe maybe less so then. let's be honest with our our straight cisgender selves. That type of dialogue just isn't cool anymore like it's just so offensive now and cringeworthy yeah like i said that stuff in middle school and i'm not proud of it right yeah and then at a certain point you're like oh i should try to be like a good person i should like consider like the the lives and feelings of people who have an experience outside of my own you know but i don't think this movie like ever tries to do that no (laughs) it's too bad (laughs) and it seems to enjoy it all right yeah okay so uh, do you want to give us our, our options and then we'll give it our final rating? Sure. So as always on Camp Kaiju, we have our best rating. It's a timeless classic. It definitely stands the test of time. And then we have there may be some antiquated moments, but overall it's great and does stand the test of time. Our third rating is it may be historically significant or fun, but it does not stand the test of time. And our lowest rating, it is not worth revisiting and definitely does not stand the test of time. I'll go first because this is the first film on Camp Kaiju that I have to give the lowest rating to. It is not worth revisiting. It definitely does not stand the test of time. This movie is is aggressively um, bad and and infantile and juvenile. And there are no redeeming qualities for me (laughs) in this movie. I'm, I'm with you. This is my least favorite movie that we've talked about on the podcast so far. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of good to talk about the really bad movies to appreciate the really good ones. But but yeah, this one is definitely not worth revisiting. It does not stand the test of time. Um, you know, a while back, I gave Killdozer the lowest rating. And now I'm like, oh, I was too hard on Killdozer. Like Vampires <laughs> is a bad movie. Killdozer is like a ridiculous kind of fun movie, but also bad. Yes. Um, <laughs> but no, Vampires is truly bad. Aside, like, you know, the, the few bright spots are not really worth 
watching the movie for. Um, so yeah, it does not stand the test of time. All right, everyone out there, please let us know your favorite vampire movie. We'd love to keep talking about vampires this season and every season. So let us know what your favorites are out there. We'd love to feature them. Well, it's going to be October. We're going to be in full on Halloween mode. You know, I think we we might throw in like an old German Fritz Lang movie into the mix. I love Fritz Lang. What is the name of the movie? The Testament of Dr. Mabusa. Very cool. What's that about? It is about a criminal mastermind who is imprisoned in an, in an insane asylum in Berlin in 1933. Um, it's, you know, this is a, a case maybe where the monster is a little bit more like figurative than literal, but he basically like starts this empire of crime in Germany in the early 30s. And I'll just say right now, it made a lot of waves. The movie pissed off Hitler a lot. It came out when he was rising to power. Um, it'll be a good conversation. And thank you all for hanging out. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend, leave a rating and review, and visit CampKaijuMovieReviews.com, Instagram, or even Patreon for more monster movie content. Links in our bio. We can't thank you enough. Camp Kaiju is recorded with your help in the Twin Cities with music by Terrence Jackson. Oh, and before I forget, Camp Kaiju is sponsored by BanditsEmporium.com, where you can shop exclusive monster-inspired t-shirts with part of those proceeds supporting this show. BanditsEmporium.com. Find the link in our bio. As they say, we sell shirts. And again, as Camp Kaiju says, thank you, friends. And until next time, stay campy. Let me ask you a question. When you were stabbing that vampire in there, yeah, did you get a little wood? Mahogany. Excuse me? Ebony. What? Teak. Are you possessed by demons? Major chubby. Language, by the way, language. Aggressively infantile. Hey, everybody, just some fun news I want to let you in on. Camp Kaiju will be hosting a live event October 29th at 3 p.m. at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. If you're in town, please come on out to the theater. We will be screening the 1931 Frankenstein starring Boris Karloff, directed by James Whale. Matt and I are so excited to host this event with a live audience Q&A, post-show discussion, coming to you live on the podcast but again if you're in town swing on by admission is free and uh visit camp kaiju movie for more information can't wait see you then